Helping next generations. Helping next generations. Helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus. Encounter and follow Jesus. Encounter and follow Jesus. To bless a broken world. To bless a broken world. To bless a broken world. Helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus. To bless a broken world. This is who we are. 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 Good morning, Cedar Falls campus. How are you guys this morning? It's really good to be with you again. My name is Steph Roller. I'm on the teaching team and the leadership board here. And I just love coming to this campus. You guys are so full of energy in the morning, so thanks again. Online, can I give a shout out to you? Some of you have taken time to reach out and tell me that you're watching and you're still with us. And I want you to know, I see you back this morning. So, wasn't the worship team amazing to start us off today? I love their music, and I really love that they play loud enough that Doug couldn't hear me singing. (laughs) Now, I know everybody doesn't like loud music. One time, many years ago, a gentleman absolutely chewed me out after church for the music we had played that day. Drums don't belong at church, he said. Okay. What kind of music does belong at church? Organ music, he said. And we did have a wonderful organist, and I loved it too. But was it true that we should only have organ music at church? Well, Adolf had a strong opinion about that, so I researched it. Of course I did. The organ was first used in churches about 900 AD. So there's a lot of years of worship before that, a lot of music played. What kind of music? Well, I remembered a story about Jesus' ancestor, King David. David's described as a man after God's own heart, which meant he was chasing after God with everything he had. And here is David in 2 Samuel 6, verse 5. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. Now, this kind of reminds me of when my kids would drag out all their pots and pans and spoons and bang on them as loud as they could. That's probably why I lost my hearing, I think. So here's Samuel in verse 14 and 15, wearing a linen, I'm sorry, not Samuel, David in verse 14 and 15, Wearing a linen ephod. Do you guys know what an ephod is? I had to look it up. It's a kind of a linen garment that was ceremonial. It was important in the temple. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Definitely not organ music. But we all have some strong opinions around worship, don't we? We know what we like. And I am pretty sure that if I had worn a linen ephod up here this morning and danced with all my might, biblical or not, you'd all be sending me your opinion about that too. The truth is that we all have different ideas and preferences, not just about music, but about all kinds of things involving our church. And it is important that we recognize preferences for what they are, personal and very important to us, but not a requirement of our faith. We also have different ideas about more substantial things, don't we? Things that we sometimes call here matters of discernment. 
is it okay if I drink a beer? Should we baptize infants or only adults? How should communion be given? Can women teach? Not everyone agrees about that. And these things can be messy and divisive and hard, and they matter to us deeply because we are trying to understand and obey the Lord. But people who have deeply and sincerely studied scripture sometimes come up with different answers. Matters of discernment make us engage the Bible and think and grow and seek God. And at Orchard, we have spent time in the last year teaching about a way to disagree that we are calling a third way, a way to love and engage each other and be a family, even in our differences. And I want you to know that being a third way church is a core value that our leadership board is committed to holding because we believe that's what Jesus taught. And if you missed that series last fall, we are asking you to please go back and watch that again. So, if we don't always agree 100% on everything, what is it that took the radical teachings of Jesus from a small band of dissimilar misfits to the most widespread faith in the world today? What unites us with our brothers and sisters who are worshiping at different churches across the Cedar Valley right now and across the whole country and across the world. Christianity is the most diverse faith on the planet. We are a lot of ethnicities and races and we speak different languages and we dress differently. Our churches are wildly different. Some of our brothers and sisters even have to worship in secret. If I work, walked into a church in, say, Lithuania, I probably wouldn't understand very much of what was being said. But we would still have some really important things in common. And then to bring it back home, Orchard Hill Church, what do we share that binds us together in the unique mission that God has given to us? So welcome to our new series, This Is Who We Are. And for the next four weeks, we are going to focus on what holds us together, what we have in common, what we stand for, and the foundational beliefs that if we took them away, would make our faith unrecognizable and obsolete, the non-negotiables of our faith, and how our beliefs and our mission go together. So we're going to spend some time talking about the Apostles' Creed and our mission statement, to bring us back to our foundations. The Apostles' Creed first appeared in the second century and some of us are very familiar with it and some of us are not and that's okay. The word creed comes from the Latin word cred which just means belief. So it's the Apostles' belief and it distills down the million word Bible into just over a hundred words. Now don't hear me wrong. I am not saying that the other million words don't matter. Of course they do. But the creed gets at the heart of our faith. And when we recite it, we are professing the foundational beliefs that we share with Christians around the world. And I get to start at the beginning. Pretty excited about this. So if you're here right now, or if you're watching live stream, or you're re-watching this later, would you put aside any distractions, stop folding the laundry, and for a few minutes, join me in thinking about the most basic tenet of our faith, the words 
of our core foundation, the first words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe. I believe. Just sit with that for just a minute. I believe. What does that mean? Belief means accept something as true, feel sure of the truth of it. Hebrews 11.1 tells us that when we feel sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see, that is called faith. And faith is complete confidence in something or someone. So when we say the first line of the Apostles' Creed, we are professing that we are sure and certain of our belief that God exists. I believe in God. Now, I know this seems a little bit simple and maybe almost too basic to talk about, but before anything else, you have to anchor yourself in this belief that God exists because without it, we have nothing. If we don't believe in God, then nothing else here makes any sense or has any credibility or power in our lives, does it? God is not just some abstract concept here. God is real. And we believe in him. No apologies. No hedging. No, well, I believe in God, but no. We believe in God, period. And that is who we are. Hebrews 11.6 confirms the importance of this basic value. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Doesn't that just make sense? You wouldn't come to something that you didn't think existed, would you? Now, most of you know that I didn't always believe in God. So I want to invite any of you listening right now that this church is a great place for seekers. So if you are wondering or seeking or just curious, you have questions we welcome you. But while you're searching for answers, you should know that we are going to stand firm on this core belief. And we will love you even if you don't come to believe in God yourself. But this is who we are. I believe in God. And we don't just believe in any old God either. We believe in God the Father Almighty, who is sovereign over the world, who is greater than we can ever understand and who has purposes that we can't begin to fathom. So, I'm going to have to confess here that I already have some personal failings. God the Father Almighty. Almighty. Psalm 135 says that whatever the Lord pleases, he does. And I'm okay with that as long as I understand it and I approve it. Anyone else? This is a struggle and a mistake that I make all the time. I have a tendency to want to make God in my image rather than me being made in his. I want to believe that of course God thinks like I think. He values things because I do. I think my preferences should be his preferences. I definitely think my solution should be his solution but I'm wrong, I'm wrong. 
He doesn't think like me. I can never be smart enough to think like him, and he definitely doesn't need my approval. And this reverse hierarchy that I fall into sometimes leads me to discouragement and frustration and anger when things are not the way I think they should be. And I'm just sure that if everyone else knew God like I know God, everything would be right in the world. And those people who think differently than me, well, God can't be thinking like them. And if that is my mood, I know that I can step back and find the foundational statement of my faith and find peace and a better perspective. Even if I don't totally understand what is happening right now, I can say, I believe in God the Father Almighty. My thoughts are not his thoughts. My ways are not his ways. This is who we are. We believe in God the Father Almighty. So as I was writing this teaching, I was wondering, what made all of you believe in God to begin with? And what keeps you believing? Even if you're still questioning, something has at least gotten you curious or you would not be here. What was it? So I reached out to a bunch of you and I asked you to share your answer with me. And when I did that, something unexpected happened. Most of my friends who sat and thought about this really reconnected with God the Father. And I got some really deep and emotional and meaningful answers. It can just be good to go back to basics. And so, because of that, I'm giving all of you a homework assignment. I want you to find some time. Sit and think. Why do I believe? What made me believe? What keeps me believing? Maybe even talk about it with your friends or your family or your small group. I was overwhelmed and humbled by your answers. God will do almost anything to help us see him. So, we are a church who looks for God and sees him everywhere. And we are deliberate about sharing stories of God at work at every single leadership meeting because we don't ever want to close our eyes to how God the Father Almighty is working. That is who we are. And I wish I had time to share all of those stories with you of how people first came to believe in God, but I don't. But let me say that they include times of feeling God's presence directly or feeling God's presence through someone else. They include times of solitude, worship, family tradition, lots of stories about seeing God in nature and creation, even in math and science. But I do wanna share one story as an example. So one of my friends was at the beginning of figuring out his faith. He just wasn't sure where he was with God. And so he decided he'd go on a men's retreat here at Orchard Hill Church. While he's on this retreat, he went out in the woods to spend some time alone with God. And I don't know exactly how that conversation went because that's between them. But at some point, he did that thing, that thing that Dave Bartlett teaches us all the time, you guys, you know this one, where you close your fists and you think, and when you're ready, you open your hands and you let go of whatever you need to to God. So my friends, 
is he's out in the woods. He's got his eyes closed. He's got his hands closed. God, just give me some kind of sign. And then he opened his hands and he opened his eyes and he started sobbing because this is what he saw. So I hope you can see this. Luckily, he had his 2008 flip phone with him <laughs> and he snapped this picture. So I apologize if it looks a little grainy. It's the actual picture that he took. Um, but I hope you can see that this picture of a tree not only looks like a cross, but it looks like it's reaching out to embrace you, doesn't it? So he took the picture, and then he called his wife crying, and for, she told me for just a few minutes she thought he'd lost his mind about something, and then he gave his life to the Lord. And he's a really outdoorsy guy, spent his whole life outdoors, hunting, fishing, everything. So he's not someone to get lost in the woods. And he tells me that when he went back later to try to find this tree, he has never been able to find it. It's a story of God at work, a story of first belief. So whether we need to get hit over the head by a tree branch to find God, or we found him in quiet solitude, or we found him in a science textbook, or in the beauty of really loud music. We stand on this basic foundational belief here at Orchard Hill Church, and we stand on it with every other Christian around the world. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe that God created all things from the far reaches of the universe to the depths of the ocean from the smallest insect to the largest whale, including all of us. And we believe that all of God was present during creation, Father, Son, and Spirit. We spent a lot of time last summer teaching about that, so I won't go into it now. But again, you can always go back and rewatch. At the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapters one and two, we read about God making this beautiful creation. But this is where you might need to put on your third way hat just a little bit. Because is this beautiful description of the creation of the world meant to be literal? As in literally six human days and then one day of rest? Or is it meant to be an accurate but shortened version of a long creation, so long and complex that we just can't understand how God did it? God, the Father Almighty, can do as he pleases. So he could have created any way he wanted. I don't have to understand it, remember? I used to teach evolution when I was a biology TA. And I long ago decided that the statistics of evolution by chance are outrageously ridiculous. But as you might have figured out by now, I have this need to understand everything, even God. So is Genesis literal or beautifully true and poetic? And my struggle with this was so deep. And for some reason, I felt like my faith hinged on me understanding and being right. There's an astrophysicist that I sometimes read. Uh, she was a former atheist brought to faith through science and math. And she did this awesome and elegant mathematical analysis that involved the theory of relativity and some knowledge of modern cosmology and particle physics to show that the six days of creation of the Bible and the 14 billion 
50-year-old earth of science are mathematically the same depending on your relative perspective. If that's way over your head, join the club. It's okay. And with all respects to her efforts, as I was trying to understand her math, I suddenly realized I was totally missing the point. Genesis, it was never meant to be an exhaustive book on the details of exactly how God created the world. How could it be? How could I have been so arrogant as to think I could understand how God created the universe? The instructions to my new telephone system at work are longer than Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis was meant to point me to who the creator is and why he created. And I was getting distracted with the details of how. So we believe, Orchard Hill Church, that God created us. This is who we are. And if we think it was six days, or if we think it was 14 billion years, or if we ever get smart enough to understand the math that says it's the same thing anyway, okay. It doesn't change our foundational belief that one way or another, God created the heavens and the earth and declared them to be good. This is who we are. And we will allow that foundational belief to anchor us together, even in our slight differences. What happens to us when we remember that God the Father Almighty is creator of heaven and earth? When we remember that we don't have to totally understand or approve of all his actions? Honestly, what a relief. I mean, seriously, humans can't even agree on which side of the road to drive on. I cannot get my basement organized. I have a hard enough time parenting my own two kids, let alone thinking I should have the answers for eight billion other people. So I'm glad that we're not in charge of the universe. But just because we aren't in charge doesn't mean God lets us off the hook entirely. He gives us some work to do, and sometimes he gives a whole group of us work to do together. We believe that God has given Orchard Hill Church a specific mission. We believe it through prayer, through stories of God at work, and through our friends at other churches who tell us what they think our calling is, what they see in us. We believe Orchard Hill Church exists to help next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. And if you are a part of this group of believers, then you're on this mission with us too. Because the truth is that God does not call us to be consumers. We don't get just to make a profession of faith, come here on Sunday, hear a message, sing a few songs, feel good about ourselves, and then go home, not worry about it again until we do it all again the next Sunday. He is God the Father Almighty. And he has asked us to share our faith with others and to bless a broken world by helping those who need it. Now, it seems to me it would be way easier and more efficient if God just did this all himself, right? But he didn't ask me. And I don't need to understand why he works the way he does or approve of it. I just have to, have to remember who he is and who I am. And you know what? When I get involved in our mission, I always find out 
that the broken part of the world being blessed is me. So who are we, Orchard Hill? We are a lot of different people who don't always exactly agree on everything, but we are people who acknowledge our differences and we're working hard to live together in those differences. That doesn't mean we don't stand for anything. We do. We stand firm in the Apostles' Creed and in the mission of this church and in our love for God and for each other. That is who we are. So instead of me ending with a prayer today, could I ask all of you to stand? And we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed together. Ready? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.